Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today we are talking about therapeutic foster care with our special guests, Dr. Deb Shropshire, Director of Child Welfare Services of the Oklahoma Department of Human Services, and Sharon Gilbo, Therapeutic Foster Parent. Welcome to you both, and thanks for being here. Uh, thank you so much for having us. Yes, Sharon, thank you. I would love to start with you, Sharon, to hear more about your journey as a foster mom. What inspired you to become a foster parent? Well, I've been in the school system for 20 years with children uh, with special needs, and I've seen that. I've seen the need was there, and, um, and I always kind of wanted to do it, but I never just took the, you know, took the, the plunge and done it. And so one day I came home and I asked my husband, you know, hey, how do you feel about just opening our home for just one kid, just doing one kid? And he was like, well, it's really not going to be any different because you're usually bringing someone in anyway. So he was like, sure, go ahead. And um, at that point, I didn't realize just how much the need was for it. I knew it was there, but until you actually step into it, the need is so much greater than what I even realized that it was. And um, so that's how we started. And uh, we, uh, and, and I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did start. And I'm glad I, that we did do it because it's been, it's, it's been a big blessing to us, you know. Um, and I never even realized it. When I was throwing it around and tossing the ideal around, I didn't really even realize the blessing that I would get out of doing it so but we enjoy it we enjoy taking the kids and and helping them and doing what we can for them and you do a lot Sharon and I know as much as you are blessed by those relationships the kids and the families that you have worked with are incredibly blessed by you as well so Dr. Deb, in the years since you have worked for the Oklahoma Department of Human Services, what have been some of the biggest or most exciting areas of growth you've witnessed within the foster care system itself or when it comes to community understanding? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I've been um, working kind of within the child welfare system for really around seven years now. But uh, alongside, very closely alongside the child welfare system for more than 20 years. And I can tell you one of the things that I've, that I've seen is with, within this sort of the system itself, within the Department of Human Services and even the relationships with courts and other partners that are involved in the child welfare system, it has been a really a strong desire uh, to make it better, to just make it better no matter what. And no matter who we had to partner with, no matter um, what it was going to take. And so there's a great deal of resilience and of, of intention uh, to make sure that Oklahoma families and kids are being well served. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a big deal. It's a good thing because you, it makes you sort of realize, you, you know, there's really not going to be problems that you face that you can't solve if you have kind of that, that attitude as a starting place. As far as it relates to community partnerships, um, I can remember, and it hasn't been that long ago, I can remember the days when what happened in child welfare was very siloed and community folks often didn't know very much about foster care other than the, the handful of people who did serve as foster parents. But if you talk to a church or to a business or something like that around about foster care, most of the what they knew was on the news. It wasn't from any kind of direct interaction 
with the child welfare system. And, um, and maybe about 10 years ago, 10 or 11 years ago, uh, both DHS's willingness to, to look to the community for solutions, um, as well as I think rising community awareness around um, foster care, those two things kind of came together. And over the last eight or 10 years, we've really seen a lot of partnerships blossom, uh, both in terms of just simply recruiting more foster homes. Um, our state uh, over the last six or seven years has really outperformed most other states in the country in terms of recruiting and supporting foster homes, but also in terms of, like I said, a million other kinds of partnerships uh, across the state um, that, that uh, bring resources into the system, that bring opportunities for the kids we serve, for the families we serve, um, even opportunities for support for our staff as we're trying to do a really hard job. And so really, am, I feel like we're at, at a really uh, a great uh, moment in time uh, in the history of sort of Oklahoma child welfare, where the state and the community are working very closely together to achieve the best outcomes for families. We're now positioned actually in a place where we can kind of think about not just only how to take care of kiddos that are in foster care, uh, which we're going to talk a lot about today, but also how to think about supporting families even before foster care is on the table. And we would not be able to be talking about that five or 10 years ago if it weren't for some of the community partnerships that we have um, been able to see grow over this past five or 10 years. Absolutely. There's really been a big shift in the last eight to 10 years that even just as an outsider watching, um, you know, I have been able to, to be witness to. And it's it's people like you, Dr. Deb, and people like you, Sharon, that have worked so hard together as a team. Um, I think, you know, recognizing those child welfare specialists and the hard work that they do, providing additional support for them and helping tell their stories, helping people understand what it is that they do every day, you know, in addition to the hard work that the, the foster parents have. So it's been, um, it's been one of the highlights of my career to, to get to watch this shift and change happen and help tell some of the, the really cool, really positive stories. Um, we've been, Dr. W and I have been working together for a number of years as Metro Family has shared those series on foster care. And one thing that, that we always seem to land on is the myths and the misinformation that surround foster care and the foster care system. We could talk about this at length, I know, but I'd like to hear from each of you, maybe the top myth or stereotype that relates to foster care that you have encountered that you can correct for us today. Sharon, will you start? Yeah, um, I, would, I would say, you know, when, when you, uh, one of the big stereotypes is, you know, a lot of people will stereotype you as, you know, you're doing it for the money. You, you're doing it to, to make your living or, you know, and that, that, that is something that I feel like deters people from stepping up to do it because you don't want to be put in that category of, you know, I'm doing, I'm taking care of these kids so I can make a living because that's, that's not the case. And, and, and I find it really sad you know, because those people that that are the ones that put that on are the ones that really ought to step up and and help these kids because these kids need help, and and it's not about money; it's about changing a life, changing an innocent life, and um, 
So that, that stereotype has always been one that's kind of bugged me. And it probably even did deter me from doing it for several years because I didn't want to be put in that classification as much as I wanted to help kids. I never wanted that to be said. Now I just don't care. If somebody wants to say that, that's okay, you know, because I know the truth and it doesn't matter. Or, you know, that the kids, kids have, you know, that any kid in custody has some form of mental illness and you can't, you know, you can't do anything for them. And that's not true either. You know, um, these kids, when they do come into custody, they have a lot, you know, of trauma and a lot that they have to work through and and it takes being there for them and and teaching them and and helping them and building trust with them and stuff and i have found that most all of them are okay they're okay once you get them past that point and and they learn to trust and love and open up again they're okay so that's just two stereotypes that's always kind of you know bothered me with um you know the the that kind of get throughout to you, you know, but you know, if, if, if any of those people that feel that way, those are the ones that really need to step up and say, Hey, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to, I'm going to change, you know, I'm going to change this system if that's how I feel about it. But those are really important stereotypes to address here. And I'm glad, I'm glad you talked about both of those. Dr. Deb, what would you add? Yeah, I would, I would add one and then Sharon, I would love your perspective on how you handled this. I think one of the things I commonly hear is, uh, well, I would get too attached. Like if I was to get into foster care and take a child into my home, um, I would just get too attached. And then what if they uh, went back to their original family or eventually went off to adoption or something like that? I wouldn't want to deal with the attachment. And what I would always say to people who said that to me is, I want you to be attached because that's what that child needs is that relationship. Sharon, I heard you talking about that sort of the importance of that relationship. And so we actually need people to be willing to expose themselves to a relationship, recognizing that for some, for, for many children that might, there might be a transient nature to that. But Sharon, I would love to know kind of how you have dealt with that attachment side, like in a practical way, because I can speak it as a, you know, somebody who's in the foster care system, but I haven't been a foster parent. And so you've got a, a different perspective on, on what that attachment side looks like. Yeah, it is. It is tough. Um, you know, when you take a kid in your home and you've had them for a year or over a year, it's hard to say those goodbyes. It really is. But when you know that that is the best thing for that child, that they are going with their siblings or they're going home and, you know, that's, that's the ultimate goal, you know, um, then, then you, it, it makes it a little easier, you know, to, to let go. But me, I, I stay in contact with all my kids. That is, um, they're a part of my family. Once they come, they don't get shed of me very easily because, I talk to all of them. I still talk to all of them um, that I've had or, or keep in contact with them. And, um, and so that helps too, you know, just because you have to let them go, that isn't goodbye. You can still be a part of their life. And in most cases, you know, wherever they go, those people want you to be a part of their life also. You know, you, you, you help mold that child and bring it back to where it needed to be. And that's, you know, so you hold a special place in their heart and, and most people where the kids go to for their forever homes, they want you to be, 
you know, a part of that also. And so it's really not goodbye. You always, you know, have the opportunity to still be a part of their life, you know. I, um, I like to talk to people who are thinking about fostering from a standpoint of we really are asking people to step in and, and almost create an extended family for whether it's kiddos or sometimes it's kiddos and their biological parents or maybe it's an eventually an adoptive family. I mean, everybody needs extra relatives around who will <laughs> help you out whenever you're needing a break or, or who mentor your, your kids. I have lots of people in my life, some of whom I'm related to and some that I'm not related to. I've just picked and brought into my life to help us as a family. Everybody needs that. And often these children and often their parents do not have extended family or social networks uh, that can provide them that kind of support. And so under the best case scenario, um, I, some of the best, the coolest uh, situations I've ever encountered have been where foster families and the kiddos and, and the permanent families um, really just became kind of an extended family with each other. And that's how they uh, proceeded on long past the child welfare case. Yeah. That's such an important um, stereotype or myth to address. Thank you both for, for giving us those visualizations. That, that's so beautiful. And you're so right. Uh, you know, as many foster parents as I have had the privilege of talking to, that's something that they all mention, that there are still kids that have been in their home that they're still connected with, that they, you know, go celebrate the birthday with the child and their family, their forever family, that they go to graduations, that there are oftentimes still those opportunities to maintain those relationships, which is incredibly beautiful to get to have the privilege of, of being in that child's life, really for their entire life. Um, so thank you guys for, for talking about that. That's so important to know. And today we really wanna talk about a special division of foster care. Dr. Deb, will you explain for us what therapeutic foster care is and how it differs from traditional foster care? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we recognize that uh, kiddos who are in our system need different kinds of things. Um, not, all child, not all children who enter care need exactly the same. Some kiddos have maybe um, average sort of healthcare, educational needs, and, and sort of um, just need a family who can kind of incorporate them and take care of them. But other kiddos may need pretty significant um, support, especially around their behavioral health or their development. And so we recognize that we need to recruit and support and train foster parents who are equipped to deal with uh, uh, kiddos who do have some of those extra needs. And so therapeutic foster care is really a, a mechanism by which uh, Child Welfare, by Department of Human Services, partners with several agencies, um, private agencies, that help us recruit and support foster families who are gonna become therapeutic foster families. And the agency in, in supporting them, the, those families get additional training specifically on trauma, on behavioral health, on how to serve that child from really from a mental health perspective. And so there's some, um, in a sense, almost professional learning that those foster families go through to, to understand better how to meet the needs of those kiddos. And then the agency itself actually provides a great deal of support to those families, including having a counselor available or counselors that are available to meet the mental health needs of that child and of that family, um, crisis support, and some of those extra kinds of things that if you have a, a child in your home that has 
kind of a heavier dose of, um, of, of need or trauma or behavioral health challenges, you need extra supports to be able to address that. Um, the agencies may also uh, help with navigating school challenges or other kinds of challenges because some of these kiddos are going to need help with an educational plan or uh, some other kinds of assistance to, to, to figure out how to kind of bring out the best um, for them. And so those agencies combined with the Department of Human Services really work hard to support families in that. So therapeutic foster care is really foster care plus <laughs> extra help around understanding the behavioral health needs of kids, the skills to meet those behavioral health needs and the supports, including therapy supports and other kinds of supports from an agency that's gonna help a family be successful with a, a child or a youth that has uh, additional behavioral health needs. Thank you, Dr. Deb, for explaining that. You know, um, I think one of the other myths or, or fears maybe that potential foster parents have is feeling like they're gonna sign up to be a foster parent, they're gonna go through the training, and then they're gonna be in this all by themselves. And that could not be farther from the truth. The support systems, really the team that comes around foster parents, um, and even more so therapeutic foster parents, is really impressive and, um, and really designed to help foster parents every step of the way. Sharon, will you tell us from your perspective as a foster parent, what, what are the differences between being a therapeutic foster parent and traditional foster parent, and what kind of supports do you receive as a therapeutic foster parent? Yeah, the, um, to me, the, the, the difference is how, how they handle trauma, you know, even as us as adults, you know, I may handle trauma differently than you handle trauma, and that's, that's where these kids get, you know, from traditional to therapeutic, you know, the kids that have a harder time dealing with the trauma that they have been through, you know, that's usually where they get the more care at, and, and you do have to give more care, and um, they, um, they can, they can tend to be a little bit more challenging, but they, um, they, they can, they can learn, and, and, and they, they're okay, you know, I have found that that they're okay you know a lot of, of people are afraid to step into it you know with the kids that do have more problems but I have realized that once they learn to trust and open up and once you can kind of let them know that it's going to be okay and you're there you're there for the long haul with them you will start seeing a different child in it in, in the kids you will start seeing the different behaviors and then of course pairing up with a good agency is always good because you know i have people on call we have you know the kids have counselors and i have people on call if i need someone it wouldn't matter if it was at midnight i could make that phone call and they would come to the house if we was having any kind of an issue or you know sometimes if i just need you know, some reassurance saying it's okay. Yeah, you know, you, you're doing okay, you know, because there's no handbook given out to you to say this is what you do in this situation or this is what you do in that situation. Some of it is just trial and error as you go. And so, but you always have them there, you know, from from our agency. Like I said, I can I can I can pick up my phone at any point in time and somebody will be there to answer and come to come to us if we need them, you know, and the, and the same I have found true with the, with DHS, you know, if we've had any issues, I can pick up my phone and talk to caseworkers or whoever it may be at any point in time, you're not alone in it. You've got all kinds 
of people there willing to help because in the long run, everybody wants the same thing. And that's for this child to be successful, you know, and to be able to, you know, maintain, you know, and, and, um, be, be able to go out into the world and grow up and be a productive citizen. You know, that's what we all want for the child. And so you have a whole team behind you. You're not alone at all. Thank you, Sharon. I think that is it's just so important to know and to consider, especially for people who uh, maybe be feel, may be feeling that tug to learn more about being a therapeutic foster parent. Dr. Deb, how many therapeutic foster homes do we have in Oklahoma? How many more do we need to meet the needs of kiddos who need this kind of home? And how is DHS currently recruiting more foster families to ensure more kids get to enjoy this kind of home environment? So currently what we have is about 120 or 125 children who are placed in therapeutic foster care. But we need more, and we know that because we have other children who've been identified as needing that level of care who are on a waiting list and literally just waiting for homes to open up. Well, I actually want to try to flip that and make it so that there are homes that are open and waiting for children instead of children who are waiting for homes. Um, I would say that we, we think that we will need at least another um, couple of hundred therapeutic foster homes, but a hundred homes would really make the difference in um, in kind of night and day. A hundred homes would empty that list. It would give us flexibility to match kids better with families so that we can really say, hey, where is this child or youth from? How can we keep them close to their community or close to their school or, um, you know, those kinds of things. And so, uh, so even just a hundred homes would make uh, quite a lot of difference in, in impacting our need. Uh, right now, we're doing a number of different things. We've been uh, doing quite a lot of, of uh, work to try to inform the public of therapeutic foster care, kind of what the differences are there. I've been working closely with the agencies that um, help us recruit those foster families and even reaching out uh, to regular foster families, traditional foster families to say, hey, um, would you be interested in stepping into therapeutic foster care? You already know how to do the foster parent thing. Um, could we provide potentially extra training? and some things like that and, and move you into a space where um, you're, you're maybe taking on a, a kiddo that has some different challenges than, than what you've taken care of before. So all of those are mechanisms that we're undertaking right now to try to grow uh, the number of therapeutic foster homes that we have. Sharon, before you began your journey as a foster parent, were there things you were nervous about before you became a therapeutic foster parent? And then I know you've talked about, you know, this being a blessing for you. What are some of the biggest blessings that you have experienced as a therapeutic foster parent? Uh, I, I was very nervous. I was scared. You know, there was a part of me that thought, can I, can I do this? You know, am I, am I qualified to be able to take this child and, and help it? And am I, you know, I was scared, you know, there was a part of me that was scared. And, um, but once I stepped into it and I started doing it, I, I realized that, you know, a, a lot of things just, when you, when you have, give them understanding and you give them love and, and you have the compassion and a lot of times they just need to know they're at a safe place and that nobody's walking out on them, nobody's leaving them. Um, 
And, and when you do all that and you see this child that couldn't maintain a placement, couldn't, couldn't maintain anything, and you start watching this child go from a child that people, you know, thought had mental illness, thought was, and you see that, you know, six months down the road, this kid's okay. This kid is okay. And that right there is rewarding in itself. You can't, you know, the blessing of, of watching that child do that or, or being able to do something for a kid that they've never been able to have before, you know, and, and their appreciation and their thankfulness is, you know, they're so, they're so happy. You know, things that we take for granted with our kids that we've, you know, our kids have just had, you know, and these kids haven't, you know, and so it's little things, just little, little things that you wouldn't have even thought about, you know, with your own children, because that's just being a parent. That's what you do. These kids are so appreciative. And as you go through time with them and you do these things and, and they trust and they learn to love and they learn to you know, be able to make friends and have friends and do things that their anger leaves and they're happy. And you, you see a upset little kid that couldn't laugh, start laughing and playing that right there. That's rewarding. You, uh, you can't, um, you can't put no dollar sign on that or anything on that. That's, that's rewarding all in itself is to, to be able to take a child and, and get them through one of the toughest times you know, that this, this kid didn't ask for this. This isn't something that, you know, this was all brought on to an innocent child that had no control over this whole situation. And, and when you can take that child and, and, you know, be there for it and watch it grow and be able to, uh, to grow and learn. And that, that's rewarding. That's, that's the biggest thing. Thank you so much for sharing that, Sharon. Thanks for, for your honesty about those challenges and then how those challenges are worth it. They're worth it for the kids especially, but they're worth it for the foster family too. Dr. Deb, what do you think are some of the biggest fears or concerns that keep people from becoming therapeutic foster families? Um, you know, one of the things I know we have talked a lot about is that hesitancy about building those relationships with biological parents when that's possible. That can be kind of a fear for people who are considering foster care. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good one. There, there are several things I think that, uh, that cause people to not step into this and, and certainly the uncertainty of what's it going to be like to work with DHS? What's it going to be like to have social workers around my home or have to answer all these questions on all these applications we have to fill out what's it going to be like to interact as you said with with a biological family um or siblings or 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 all the other relationships that this child may have um those are definitely all things that people kind of worry about um and they wonder about what i would say to that is um that you do, and I think you've heard that, you do have a lot of support all along the way. Like we're not, we don't just kind of throw people in the deep end and say, I hope you can swim. There's a whole lot of support, everything from practical support of how to get through the process of becoming the foster parent, the actual like nuts and bolts, paperwork and training, all the way through how to, how do we support you through uh, some of the, that relationship building, whether it's with a child or whether it's with their family or whether it's with their future family. Some of the children who are in therapeutic foster care uh, may have already had the experience of their parents' rights being terminated, and they're actually moving in the direction of a future family. 
And that can also be nerve wracking too, of trying to sort of be a part of, of that kind of formation of that. And so I think that's definitely something people are afraid of, but, but, you're, not, but you're not alone in doing it. And it is very rewarding um, to, to watch uh, that child um, uh, be he heal and be healthy and then be able to step into whatever those relationships um, are gonna look like in the future. I think honestly, one of the other things that people struggle with sometimes is just figuring out how it'll kind of work out for them in terms of a schedule. I mean, we're all busy. You ask anybody how they're doing and they'll say they're busy. And, um, and maybe that's been a little less so maybe over the past year, cause we've all kind of been stuck at home a lot more, but in general, you know, we fill up our days with a whole lot of activities. And so I think sometimes people are afraid they won't have time or they don't know how it will fit. They've already, they're already, they've already got too much to do. And what I would say to that is you make time for what's important. And um, that a lot of times these kiddos can, it's not that, that any child that, that, is, that you're, is in your home or that your own child or you're stepping into foster care isn't going to take time. But the other side of that is we, we also incorporate our children into our lives. And so um, it, it's not stepping away from one life and, and creating a whole different one to become a foster family. It is really trying to figure out like how to, how to mesh a, a new um, thing into your existing life. But people do make time for, for what um, is most important to them. And um, so we're certainly interested in, in families that would, um, that would really stop and think about taking a step towards um, towards kind of opening their schedule, opening their heart, opening their time and their resources um, to, to help somebody else who's in need. That's such a good point, Dr. Deb. One of the things that I've talked with a lot of folks at, at DHS, at agencies, um, other foster families over the years is that even if you are a person who's not called to be a foster family specifically, we all have this shared responsibility as a community of supporting foster families, biological families, DHS, or the agencies that are located in our communities. Dr. Deb, what are some actionable ways that families can help? Yeah, I love that question because I will tell you, there is a rare person out there who never heard of foster care, then they heard of it, and they said, oh, I'll just become a foster parent or a therapeutic foster parent, but that's not most people's story. Most people's story is um, maybe they heard about it or maybe they had a neighbor who was fostering or maybe they had uh, you know, some kind of experience around them that they learned a little bit and then, then they learned a little more and they learned a little more and it took time. And along the way, uh, people have the opportunity to, to not only learn, um, to open their, their ears and their mind to, um, to what's going on kind of in our state, but also to look around in their community in the, whether it's in their church, whether it's in their neighborhood, whether it's in the school system their kids go to, and to say, hey, in these community spaces I'm in, there are probably foster parents already that are already operating, right? And so where are there people around me that if I just opened my eyes, I'd see, oh, there's a family who's fostering. How can I serve them? So that's the first place I tell people to go is look around and, uh, and see how you can serve those folks. I mean, there's nothing better than somebody who'll bring a home-cooked meal on a day when there's been court or it's been a bad day at school or a bad day with the, you know, with whatever's going on and somebody shows up on your front door with, with uh, food and you're not having to worry about supper or somebody uh, in your life who will serve as an alternative caregiver who will 
say, hey, the kiddos can come over to my house for a day every so often, or a respite caregiver um, where uh, you can, you know, uh, take care of, of somebody's kiddo, foster kiddos for a weekend or give them a break once in a while. That actually really supports people who, who like Sharon, who stepped into fostering, kind of stepped in the deep end with us uh, to be able to have those supports, those respite supports or people in her community that are um, stepping in and serving is what every single foster family needs. And it's a great place for people who are kind of curious. They're not sure they're called to, to be all the way, all the way into fostering, but they want to take a step. And it's an incredible support uh, to those families who have, who have um, taken that on. Those are some great ideas. And um, I think a lot of times being an alternate caregiver or respite care can help those families who think maybe this is something they want to do. That can kind of give you um, a, a taste of it. That can kind of help you test the waters a little bit to see some of those logistical things you were talking about, Dr. Deb. How am I going to make this work with my family's schedule? That gives you kind of a, a really good look at that and helps you support a foster family at the same time. Sharon, what would you add? What have been some of the most beneficial ways others have helped support your family? Um, well, one is, is by um, being an alternative caregiver. You know, if we had to do something, run someplace, you know, I've had people that would be like, hey, let me take them. I'll keep them, you know, and that is a big help sometimes because when sometimes when un uh, unforeseen circumstances happen and you got, you know, you've got to go do something, you know, it's nice to know that you've got somebody there that will step up and say, hey, let me do that, you know? And so that that is a big thing. And, and like you said, you know, um, what a great way to get to know that some of these children, you know, and, and to decide if somebody wants to do it, you know? Um, I can't imagine no, anybody not wanting to do it uh, after I started doing it, you know? And I tossed it around. I, my kids was grown, you know, and I tossed it around. The, do I really want to do this, you know, and, um, and, and the whole time and this and that, but it's like you said, you just incorporate them into your life, and uh, wherever we go, they go. If we go on family vacations with my kids and my grandbabies, they all go too, you know, they become a part, and so, and then understanding and kindness, you know, sometimes when, when you have one that acts out, or, you know, um, it's nice to have people that's kind of in your circle that understands and and that's not judgmental about it you know or that i think that's real important too you know those are such that's a really that's a really good point you made uh sharon that language of be about about judgment um i will say that is one of the things that sometimes foster parents talk about is even sometimes from their own family depending on how well how much their family was interested in their extended family may may have opinions about them fostering um, or in their community, I hear foster families talk about sometimes, um, you know, the way they may be treated at the grocery store or other kinds of things, ha especially if a kiddo is having a hard day. Uh, really, as neighbors, we, every single one of us, when we see a family who's, who's having a hard time, and especially if we happen to know that's a foster family, everything that we can do to say, uh, I'll help you, I'm not going to judge you, what can I do? Um, that that's a role for every single person in Oklahoma, not just those people who say someday maybe I would step into fostering. So we would, I would definitely um, love to see folks who are who are listening to this really think about um, about how they can um, directly support foster families, but also even from a from a mindset standpoint, 
how do we, how do we just be kind towards each other? That is so important. I'm so glad you both spoke about that. And I will extend that challenge to all of our listeners to really think about how, how you can get in that mindset and some actionable ways that you can find those foster families around you and, and lend a helping hand in whatever way makes the most sense for you. Thank you both so much for joining me today and for all the impactful, important work you guys are doing in our communities on behalf of kids and families. For our listeners, you can learn more about therapeutic foster care and becoming a therapeutic foster parent at beaneighbor.org. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.